and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name is Michael Aminato, and this is Round 19, the United States Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas won the race at a canter, but teammate Lewis Hamilton won the championship in style, stretching a just doable one-stop race to finish second ahead of Max Verstappen. It was a strong performance for Bottas in a race that could have been won by any of the top three drivers, but not by Ferrari, who were mysteriously off the pace throughout the race. To discuss a closely fought United States Grand Prix, I'm joined by Jake Michaels from ESPN. Jake, how are you doing? I'm good. A little bit tired, but uh, we got through it in the end. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's done it again. Six. A couple of early morning races for anyone watching from Australia. You need to understand this, first of all, before we go into this. Well, this is the thing. This is the tough point of the year, isn't it? When you've got uh, Mexico and, and US and Brazil. So yeah, if you want to head over to races, they're the ones. So you don't have to get up early over here. Yes. Hey, at least the championship's finished. So there's <laughs> not, not a lot of importance left to the rest of the season. Not for the front runners anyway. Some people still very important for this race. Before we get into some of the headlines of this Grand Prix, which of course should mention now, however long we are into the podcast, that Valtteri Bottas won, not Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton won the championship. But I do want to talk very briefly about Lewis Hamilton. Obviously, it's been a, another season of Lewis Hamilton. I don't necessarily want to say domination, but certainly he's been far and away the strongest driver of the year. Of course, he's won the championship. That is the result you get. But it's really another step up, I guess, from last year. We really felt last year that that was, I don't want to say necessarily d- definitive Hamilton but certainly the best he'd ever been do you feel like this is another gear for him now closing his sixth title I think it is I think every year we've almost kind of said that he's gone to another level and he's just getting better and better but I think it's more the consistency and if you remember back early in his career he used to have these really he'd have these weekends and admit they weren't often maybe once or twice or three times throughout the season where he just looked way off the pace. He doesn't seem to have that anymore. Mm -hmm. And when he has had any kind of issue, like, you know, you call it an issue, qualifying fifth in this race, he just seems to then get the maximum out of it. He doesn't sort of... I don't know. I feel like he's mentally as strong as ever. He said it after he he, um, won the title uh, in Austin that he, as an athlete, he feels as, as good as he ever has. So, I mean, the question is, how far does he go? Does he does he tie Michael Schumacher next year? Does he does he go on and get eight, nine? I mean, who knows? It's crazy to think when, when Schumacher got seven. I don't think that was a record yeah. for me that I thought would never, ever be broken or mm-hmm. tied. And now you're looking at a guy who you think, gee, he can easily pass it. Not to mention the 91 wins, which will, you'd have to think, almost certainly be finished next year. Well, we were talking about this in Japan when we were, we were trying to work out when that would almost be. And yeah. it's crazy to think, well, when that was, it was he just had about eight or nine or ten to go. And it's just like, oh, mm. we'll probably be there next year, halfway through the season. I mean, that's insane to, to talk about it like that. He yeah. could probably have ten wins next year. But he probably can. Um, and, you know, that's going to be a race that everybody's going to want to be at. The, yeah. the one that where he ties it or goes on and breaks mm-hmm. it. I think the one where he ties it will be almost bigger. Yeah. And then maybe the 100th race can be... Because that was the other thing. It would be obviously the first driver to get to all of the subsequent 90 races, but also 100. Yeah. Nice round number. Everyone loves a good round number. It does feel like, though, in sort of a little bit in the context of this race, because you mentioned qualifying fifth was, a for him, one of his worst qualifying results for some time. Uh, added to the unusualness was that this is a track he's normally very good at, as I guess the race demonstrated. But it feels like at this point in time, winning a sixth championship, there's nothing left for Hamilton really to prove. There's no obvious weakness in his game anywhere, whether that's qualifying or the race, or as we'll talk a little bit about this, executing strategy. It doesn't feel like there's anything, there are, any, there are no questions over Lewis Hamilton's legacy at all at this point in his career. No, and I think everyone, anyone in the past that's kind of said, oh, Lewis Hamilton, 
you know, he walked into McLaren, he's gone to Mercedes, he's, he's always had a, a strong car underneath him, maybe mm. excluding one season. But you, you, you kind of can't, you've got to look at his whole career now and look at the every season and just look at what he's been able to achieve with the teammates he's had, had to go up against. It's not as if he's the only man in that team. And he what he's done is incredible. Um, and if he was to retire tomorrow... He would go to in twenty years' time. People would be talking about Lewis Hamilton as one as the one of the three greatest Formula One drivers of all time, no doubt about it. And the only question now is when he might be considered the best of all time. Even indeed, that can ever be definitively answered. I don't think you can necessarily say that. About so, anyone, if there's any sport where it's, so, I mean, you can't really do it in any sport, but yeah. Formula One, it's just like it's Perhaps, crazy because you got yeah. you, so many things that are different now. Yeah, one of the most difficult to compare, but certainly in that conversation, this was the race in which he tied up the championship. But even from the very beginning. It seemed like it wasn't really going to be his weekend. In fact, he's got a little bit of form now winning championships without having the best of weekends. In the end, he came close to winning it. But this was a Valtteri Bottas weekend. But going to the very beginning, the form guy leaning into this race is that we have a real mixed field at the moment. Mercedes was so dominant at the start of the year. Ferrari's hit back since the mid-season break. And Red Bull Racing, after a couple of wobbly races after the mid-season break, seems to be returning to form. Had a super tight qualifying session. Valtteri Bottas got pole. But it's I want a great to talk, qualifying session. Yeah, one of the best we've had of the season, I think. I want to talk briefly about Ferrari. Ferrari has now a run of a huge run of pole positions. Every pole since the mid-season break, I think I'm right in saying, didn't get pole here. An unfolding controversy with the power unit there, these accusations that they're doing something beyond the regulations. Is it? Would it be fair to say that this was a an unusually weak race for the Ferrari engine. Are you surprised they couldn't take pole given we've got one very long straight and one decent straight here? Well, I was surprised they weren't on pole. Um, but again, as you say, it was so close, so I didn't take read too much into it. What shocked me was the start. The first the first two laps from both cars, they just looked like... They, they just weren't in the same league mm. at, that, at that point, which that was the thing that was surprising. Not taking pole, I mean, I, I can kind of live with that. As you say, they were on pole every race, six in a row, I think. Mm. Um since Belgium, but it was a bit of a surprise. But do we speculate and, and talk about <laughs> what this controversy is at the moment, or do we do we wait and see? Because it's 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 if there is something there they're doing wrong. I mean, mm. it's going to come out pretty soon. You'd, you'd imagine. Yeah, exactly. We've got two more races that at least well potentially both of them they should do relatively well at on current form. And they'll kind of be the test. Worth pointing out, though, that they were quite good in the first sector of this race, during qualifying, I should say, not during the race, but at this track, which you wouldn't have expected them to be because that's quite a downforce-sensitive part of the track. So it's not as if Ferrari rocked up and suddenly they were just a weak team. It does feel like, and Mattia Bonotto did say this afterwards, that it was a trade-off for them because, of course, once they've been loading up the car with downforce since the middle of of the season, once they've rectified some of those aero problems they had, plus they've got the power unit that, is apparently, potentially legally, quite strong, or potentially illegally. They're now trying to find a balance that allows them to, to have good race pace. That's been a weakness so far this season. As mm. you said, the start of the race, it seems like it could still be a weakness. But it seems What's like their a very, biggest weakness? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a very conscious trade-off, I think. is what it, to, to pause the speculation, I suppose, I think there could be more to this than just purely the... The power unit controversy. I'm very eager to see how, how that Ferrari looks going down the back straight in Abu Dhabi in a few weeks' time. I think so, because Abu Dhabi <laughs> should be there. I think their next best shot. I'm not necessarily discounting Brazil, but Abu yeah, Dhabi's kind of a Ferrari You think they'd be strong there, yeah, yes. especially with the long straight. I mean, so if there's an issue there, then then who knows? Maybe we'll start really getting the magnifying glass out. <laughs> but hey, then the season will be done. They'll maybe have gotten away with it. Who Everyone knows? will forget about it. <laughs> yeah, well, as far as you can get away with it, 
the terrible season they've had. We talk about the background of this race further. Unusually cold for Texas, I think it's fair to say, at least in my mind, Texas is quite warm, uh, usually quite warm, although they're going into winter, of course. That did have an effect on Friday and through to Saturday. Track evolution was massive, kind of altered the picture in terms of uh, race simulations on Friday because the track was improving so much and also because the tyres do behave a little bit differently when it was quite so cold. It was frost on Friday morning, mm. I think, which is not really... It's meant to be a summer sport. Come on. It's not like it's like Barcelona <laughs> testing all over again. I don't mind it, though. I mean, it does add another dynamic. It's It just takes away that almost... Not boring, but it takes away what you know almost and mm. it adds another area that you just and I'm a bit of unpredictability about it and I think this is exactly what we ended up seeing play out on Sunday because whereas Ferrari seemed like it had quite good race pace on the medium tyre and all of the top five qualifiers went out on the medium the, the only the, the sixth exception being Alex Albon quite a, a deliberate decision by Red Bull Racing to split that strategy came to nothing of course because he was crashed on the first lap so we didn't get to see how that would unfold but the start of the race the medium tyre seemed to work out for some, but not for others, specifically Ferrari. It was a nightmare for them, really. Could not get any heat in the tyres early in the race. Of course, Sebastian Vettel uh, ended well, he had a horror. He had a horror nine laps or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah however few he got. But it was surprising. I can't think of another time where starting on the more durable tyre has had such a negative effect on a driver, especially one of the top six. Well, this is what I was saying. I mean... I think Leclerc wasn't didn't struggle as much, but it was still noticeable that yeah. he he was really battling. They both were to to get as you say get heat into the tires and just to keep the car on the circuit. Um, you know, at another track they could have fallen further down further down the the field. So it was just a bizarre start. I, I as you say, I, I can't remember the last time that happened where both cars really struggled. As you say, on on that tire, yeah, just unusual. Really strange stuff, especially because you had some some drivers starting on more durable compounds further down the field. Didn't seem as they didn't have that same issue. Yeah, we also had this strange issue. Max Verstappen complained about it as well, though. In the end, we did see damage to his car, where Sebastian Vettel, in particular, but also Charles Leclerc, were kind of shocked by the way their car handled. Vettel was talking about crazy understeer early in the race. He dropped all the way down to seventh before he sort of consolidated mm. and then, of course, had a horrible suspension failure. <laughs> that, summed up, that race, that nine laps summed up his season. <laughs> didn't it? Sort of started with promise, ended horribly. Uh, it's not clear whether or not those two things are related, but it was just devastating for Ferrari from the very beginning. It served to eliminate both, obviously, literally in Vettel's case, but Leclerc before his first spit stop, was completely out of contention. He mm. was something like 20 seconds or more back after the first pit stop yeah. window. You know when you're chasing the fastest lap, I mean, it's, it's Exactly. It's over. He had the Pierre Gasly commemorative point for this race <laughs> for, for being way out of touch with the front runners. Verstappen's the interesting one, though, because you mm-hmm. mentioned it before. I, I didn't know, I didn't realise he, he'd complained about um, about floor damage. I, there was nothing that stood out mm-hmm. to me watching that race um, unfold that he would get. He would have floor damage. So This was one of the interesting things about that first lap is a lot of drivers seemed to pick up some kind of damage. He didn't mm. realise it and the team didn't realise there was damage to the floor. They assumed all the discrepancy was to that front wing damage we did see on the TV uh, when he tried to have a go at Bottas, yeah. I think, at the first turn. And then out of the car, they realised there was a bit of a hole in the floor. Still not quite sure how that worked, mm. whether that was off a curb or some errant debris somewhere along the way. That did hinder his races, we'll, we'll talk about later on. But with the Ferraris eliminated, Alex Albon also tangled with Carlos Sainz uh, and Charles Leclerc as he was struggling to get heat into those tyres, essentially eliminated as well. He had to pit mm. after the first lap, went to the medium tyre uh, and made two uh, stops subsequent to that. 
we were left with this three-way fight, essentially. The two Mercedes versus Max Verstappen to see how this race was going to pan out. And we have this sort of standard first 10 laps where everyone's kind of eyeing each other, trying to figure out how it went. Cat and mouse. <laughs> and Red Bull Racing, seeing, I think, that, that Verstappen was kind of the slower of the three in terms of race pace. And I guess, as we later learned, there was damage to his car. Went really aggressive at this point. They pitted early and onto the hard tyre. And there was talk very briefly this could have been a one-stop for them because one-stop was the prediction before the race. Yeah, look, I didn't mind that that early call. And I think Red Bull, to Red Bull's credit, I think they've always been a team that is prepared to make a bold call, um, unlike Ferrari maybe. <laughs> or not, not necessarily a bold call, but a call that can make them look like geniuses. A bold Fer- call that makes sense, I think, as yeah. opposed to Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, Ferrari's made some weird decisions over the time. But I think, so he, so he came in, he was the first of the three to pit, and, and that was the thing. So he came in, um, and you probably felt at that stage. When he came in, did you think one or one or two? I thought it, it looked like it was a way to keep both options open, right? That it was so early that you felt like it was going to be a two-stop. But perhaps like in Mexico, for example, mm. where the hard tyre held up really well. And of course, this is the same hard compound, the C2, they used in Mexico, and Max did pretty much the whole race on that tyre in Mexico. Obviously very different tracks, but I guess this was a way for them to say, well, if they got to half distance or whatever and the mm. tyre was holding up very well, because so few of them used it in practice as well to know, yeah. they could have gone either way. He in- was quite aggressive, though, as you say, when he came out. So you kind of got the impression quite early on in that second stint that it was, given how much life he did burn early, you felt, mm. well, he's probably going to have to come in again. Um and they were able to just cover him off. That was, the, I mean, that's the thing. That's that's what Mercedes has. That's the advantage they've had for for years is that they've always had two cars at the front and the ability to cover off any whatever anyone wants to do. And that's where Ferrari and, and obviously Red Bull, with only really one one driver that's competing at the front, struggles because they've they've only got one option. Mm-hmm. Mercedes can always can co- always cover both. So yeah, you always felt that Mercedes had had Max covered. He didn't quite have the pace, and and I think there was. But you, but the undercut actually worked. He just wasn't able to. Just was too far behind in the end. I mean, it worked in the sense that he, he had he been slightly closer, he would have. He made up a lot of ground on that first lap that he came out. But in the end, he just the gap just was too too much. It's a really good point though that you do raise that uh, Mercedes always does by virtue of having two very consistent drivers. Also because the car is normally quite consistent always has those two options. There are very, very few races in which the drivers can't play off each other, rely mm. on each other. In fact, we know over the past couple of seasons that the team has very actively relied on Bottas to play the team game. Whereas that's very much less been the case for Ferrari and Red Bull Racing. And this, considering that, as we'll sort of see over the course of the race, that mm. we think Red Bull Racing probably had the pace to win this race. Had there been two of them competing at the front, perhaps one of them would have. Oh, absolutely. And, and Bottas has copped a lot of criticism for it, but... Look, the team couldn't ask for anything more because mm. they've won so many more races because they've got a driver that's willing to play that second role. And look, and, and I almost felt sorry for him today because he won the race. Yeah. And it was just like cameras straight on Lewis. It's like, <laughs> forget him. No one cares. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Had Red Bull, had, um, had Albon been up in the top four, mm-hmm. you'd think Max would be a chance because they could, have, they could have done something different with strategy, made Mercedes think a little bit more, and all of a sudden, Max is right in the game. Obviously, had he had no damage, then you'd say he's right in the game. As it was, yep. he only finished five seconds off off the lead or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, interesting race. So the first, there are two, if we want to talk about race-defining moments, I think there really are two because the Grand Prix ultimately boiled down to Bottas versus Hamilton. But as we've been saying, of course, Verstappen finished quite close behind at the chequered flag. 
The other real race-defining moment, in fact, there maybe are even our three. I'll blend two of them into one, though. It was Bottas covering Verstappen at both pit stops. Verstappen attempting the undercut on both occasions, particularly the first pit stop, where I think he was a little bit closer than at the second. So that was lap 13 and lap 34 for Verstappen. Mm. By Bottas covering both, that ensured that Verstappen wasn't or at least came very close to ensuring, we should say, that Verstappen wasn't going to win the race because Bottas had him covered. And had Bottas not come in on that, particularly mm-hmm. the first the first piss up on lap 13, had Bottas not come in on 14 and on and he came in on 15, Max would have take, Max would have overtaken him. So it was crucial and they made that right, the call, the correct mm-hmm. call. Yeah, wasn't exactly uh, perhaps clear at the time how strong Verstappen was going to be, but that was absolutely right, as you say. Then we had this interesting situation, not the first time we've had it this year, where the other Mercedes car has had a different strategy that could be quick because it was generally tipped before the Grand Prix that this would be a one-stop race, just because generally that's also the way we've been having races this season. It's not an especially hard track for tyres. We've got a, the, the middle range of Pirelli compounds. It's pretty well balanced in all regards. But partly perhaps because cars were set up when it was a little bit colder on Friday and it was a little bit warmer on Sunday, and perhaps because they're just using their tyres more because they're getting a bit ambitious. Whatever the reason, this ended up being a very finely balanced race. So we had this great tension towards the end. I thought it was really interesting when it came time for Lewis Hamilton's stop on lap 23 when Bottas was just about to catch him, that Hamilton took it a little bit into his own hands, didn't he, and decided that he wasn't going to pick when come in, yeah. That was, um, that was interesting given, his, given, obviously, his significant lead in the championship mm-hmm. and the fact that it was always going to be a tall order to win this race given that he'd, he'd effectively get, he'd, he'd gone to a one-stop and, and Valtteri was on a two-stop. Um, yeah, I was surprised. I know Lewis is... He's he's not one to sort of you know always follow what the team mm-hmm. says. He'll always he'll, he'll question what he thinks should be questioned. But I was surprised he he didn't just you know play along, do what he had to do, and and secure the title. But it shows how hung his hunger to win races. You know, it, it I think it showed me that he's not settling any. He's not prepared to settle. Um, even if it is a sixth title, he wants to win every race he competes in, and that's what makes him so great. And so he had this uh, moment where Mercedes allowed Valtteri Bottas to attack Hamilton. He got past him. Then Hamilton pitted, I guess, sensing yeah. the way the race was moving because, of course, drivers can only see so much of a Grand Prix, understand so much of the evolution of a race at that point. But it was, you know, obviously Hamilton couldn't win this race by the end, as we learned. He finished second, probably could have finished third, uh, maybe even further back had Leclerc been more on the pace. But that single extra lap potentially could have saved him second place because we saw it come so close uh, down to Verstappen on the two-stop and Hamilton on the one. And we saw, particularly towards the end, I'd see that Hamilton's tyres were going off. This wasn't simply a matter of him having a long stint on a slower tyre. At the end of the, the first stint or the second? At the end of his second stint. Stints, really. Well, yeah, yeah, it was at the end of both. You're right, because yeah. the tyre did begin to go off the medium tyre when Hamilton stopped, but particularly at the end of his second stint on that hard tie. You could see the times were getting worse as Verstappen was closing in. Mm. You know, that extra lap potentially is what saved him. Because if we, if we move towards the end of the race, when Verstappen did finally manage to close onto to Hamilton's gearbox, we had the rather fortuitous timing for Hamilton of, Max, uh, of uh, Kevin Magnussen uh, losing brakes. He had a brake problem at the end of that long straight where most of the overtaking was done in this race caused yellow flags. Verstappen, as he presumably learned from Mexico, can't yeah. overtake there. <laughs> yeah, look, he was you could say he was fortunate, Hamilton, for, for that coming out because had it not had there not been yellow flags being waved, Verstappen probably gets past. I mean, you don't know, but you'd you'd think he would. Mm-hmm. Um but as you say, who knows? Maybe that maybe the, those extra that extra lap where Bottas was right on his tail. And even you could say maybe the one or two 
you know, before that, it, it, it shows how valuable it is just to be able to eke out a few extra laps yep. at a strong pace. And I, uh, my initial thought when he was doing it was it's the wrong call because not only was did it, was Bottas right on him, and I thought there's obviously potential to have contact, um, but Verstappen was able to close while they were sort of squabbling, and, and he was and Hamilton was holding up Bottas. But in the end, it, it didn't mean much. Obviously, we saw what happened to, to Max; he couldn't quite get in the fight. But I thought that would be an opportunity for for Red Bull to come back into play again. That's why I thought Hamilton probably should have picked. I don't. Th- I think the gap at that point might have been about five seconds or something like yeah. that. It wasn't like it was 10 or 12 seconds where they had a lot of room to, to manoeuvre and play with. So any mistake, any squabbling, anything that the team didn't want could have really cost them. But look, in the end, it was one lap. Um, he held him off in the end. He didn't try to, to fight it down the straight when he clearly didn't have the, the grip. Um, and as you say, got in front and then Hamilton decided to pit. And from there, he came back out. And again... Another good stint, managed his tyres well. Um, and, and I think in the second stint, I was more impressed with what he did in the second stint purely because I thought he would be almost swallowed up immediately. But he yeah. uh, he did a really, really good job to stay in front. And at one point, I actually thought, he's going to win the race. Yeah. And that was incredible, really, given that he, as you say, he'd, he had struggled. He struggled. I mean, it wasn't really struggled. But for Hamilton, yeah, sure. he, he struggled a little bit in, during the weekend. And then you get to that point where things still haven't gone right. He's He's... You know, not done exactly what the team wanted him to do, and you think with 15 laps to go, you think, gee, he's might might be the favourite right now to win. Mm. Um, in the end, he wasn't able to to hold on, but no, he did an incredible job. Not unlike the way he ended up winning in Mexico, where it was sort of perfectly managed. 100. Uh, percent Worth pointing out here as well. We've already talked a little bit about Lewis Hamilton's strengths, I suppose, but the way that he almost made that stint work was very much a team effort, and it's it's one of the the stronger traits, I guess, of Lewis with Mercedes or perhaps even just with his engineer, noting, of course, that it wasn't his engineer in Mexico, was his engineer Bono, Pete Bonington, back uh, in the United States. But when he emerged from the pits for that after that first stop, really went flat out on those tyres. Not unusual on, on the first lap, but did it again on a, for a second lap and was then sort of reined in by the pit wall saying, you really need to manage mm. this stint. He asked for a target and they sort of set a target lap time. He's, be, he's very, very good at managing a race like that, really driving to a target and getting the most from the tyres in the process. He really nailed it to Mexico, for example. Couldn't quite do it here, although Mercedes admitted towards the end of the race over Team Radio that they weren't sure they could do it anyway. Mm. Uh, but had a go and really did make it to the end of the race, at least without needing a second stop. But very good at executing races like that. He's become very methodical in his, his approach. Yeah, I, th- I think it's almost the most impressive thing about Lewis Hamilton is how, not that he wasn't consistent in the early part of his career, but he's just, and he might... You might often ask back, and, and it might frustrate people when he questions what the team is saying. And it's like, hang on a minute, there's a thousand people here that are telling you what to do, and they're looking at everything <laughs> and every car, and you're just sitting in yours. But you're right. When it comes down to the actual hitting targets, he, there's no one better. He does it lap after lap after lap after lap. Um, and that's why he's so great. Uh, and he did it again. He did it in Mexico, and he's, and he's done it again um, in the United States. And you know, had he not had a a poor qualifying session, if you want to call it poor, you know, he probably wins the race again. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think there's much more you can really say about him. Yeah, so he managed to hold on to second, uh, in part in part fortune, but of course in part him just getting the most out of that strategy uh, from Max Verstappen. Verstappen only a couple of seconds, four seconds behind him, I think, no, sorry, four seconds off the lead, I mm. should say, right behind Hamilton. Which uh, shows his pace, especially if exactly. we now say he had um, floor damage and, 
and wing damage as well. Yeah, a little I bit mean, of end plate damage. There's, if you say, well, he finished four seconds, only four seconds behind in a in a Red Bull. Um, yeah, that shows he he sh- really should have been in the fight to win as well. I mean, he kind of was, but he was, but he wasn't. He, he yeah. finished four seconds behind, but it didn't feel like he was ever a chance to win. Always one step behind us. He was always chasing so. when he could have had the opportunity to really be pursuing uh, or even perhaps leading after one of the pit stops. So very close for Red Bull Racing. I guess a little bit heartening for them, if you can say that, for not winning the race, considering they've been a little bit up and down the last couple of races. But that's the way Valtteri Bottas won this race from Hamilton and Verstappen. We've talked a little bit about Ferrari already with Charles Leclerc. Absolutely nowhere in this Grand Prix was Ferrari, or at least one of them, obviously. One of them didn't even make it past the ninth lap. It did get the fastest lap, though, for with a late pit stop onto the soft tyre. Alex Albon recovered quite strongly, made three pit stops in the end, if you include that first one at the end of the first lap. Would have been so interesting to see how he managed starting on that soft tyre in the top six, whether that mm. would have changed things up a little bit. It was very impressive, wasn't it? Another solid Grand Prix for Albon in, in what, again, I, I feel like we should emphasize this every week, is his rookie season. Mm. You know, uh, People criticize him, and I guess fairly in a way that he only ever meets the Red Bull target, if you like. He does the minimum, but doesn't, or really, really exceeds it, which is true. But for a guy who's in his first season in Formula One, and he only is sixth or seventh race with Red Bull Racing, however far we are in past the mid-season break, you got to cut him a little bit of slack. I know there's no slack afforded when you're one of the front-running teams, but this is almost a bit exceptional. You've got to say, I mean, the, his name is has got to be on that contract. But, Surely. But, I mean, what he's done has been exceptional, really. Um, I just, I'm just i waiting for a race weekend where he has no issue. I just want to mm. see no issue. We've, we've seen glimpses of how good he can be, both in qualifying and in the race. But I'd love a weekend that just a smooth weekend where everything just clicks because... You know, he should be on. He should be standing on a Formula One podium. Um, mm. You know, very soon, and who knows, maybe challenging for wins next year. Yeah, maybe a podium by the end of, year, of the year. Who to say? Uh, we've talked about this balance between the one stop and the two stop, and it really was quite delicate. And, and while it was exemplified between Bottas and Hamilton and Verstappen, really was also done so between Ricardo and Lando Norris, Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris, uh, Renault and, and McLaren. McLaren very much dominating qualifying in this part of the season for the midfield. Ricardo got ahead of Norris uh, within the first 10 laps or so. Uh, and then there was uh, Norris really chasing the whole time. Norris attempted the undercut. What I thought was really impressive from Renault here, though, considering the team's made some fairly questionable strategic calls this year, is they actually absolutely nailed covering it. I was worried at this point because they didn't cover it on the subsequent lap, but they were confident that there was enough pace in Ricardo's tyres they could leave it for two. And I think they emerged mm. from pit lane... You know, 0.4 seconds ahead of Norris or something. And that extra lap really did pay off towards the end of the Absolutely. Stint. That extra, as you say, that extra lap is just one less you've got to do at the end when you're yeah. on a long, long stint. And uh, yeah, that was a great, a great battle as well. And it was, so Ricardo's pretty much done a, done a Hamilton, if you like, mm. and, and, and stayed out, did the one stop and, and uh, he made it work as well. I mean, do you say Hamilton made it work? He kind of, you know, he was in the middle. So you'd probably take that in the end. The one team would mm. take the one too, but um. Yeah, another great battle, and, and so close towards the end. And, and had he come in one one lap earlier, then he might have finished one place lower. Absolutely, because Norris towards the end, having not been able to make any impression, was called in on lap forty two or fifty six, so relatively close to the end, converting to a, a two stop quite late. Uh, fell down to tenth, I think it was. Passed a lot of cars. There are a couple of pit stops as well there. Uh, but made it all the way up. You could see mm. the lap closing so dramatically because as his tyres were, were still on that improvement curve as his car was was lowering its fuel load, Ricardo's are really away. starting to yeah. fall away. Uh, and it went from, I think it was two seconds the previous lap to 0.4 at the flag, mm. something like that, a really massive improvement. I think Norris said had there been one more corner on yeah. this track, 
he would have. Well, been that's able the thing. To get him. We're talking about one more lap, one more corner. I mean, yeah. So that's the thing. So it shows they they nailed it. Um, mm-hmm. For a change. Yeah, I think for a change, a welcome change for Renault. Ricardo, one of the few midfielders to make a one-stop work. Carlos Sainz also did, which really does show that McLaren is a really good all-round car. He stopped on on lap 18, in fact, so even earlier than than Norris or Ricardo and made that hard tie go all the way towards the end, albeit one lap less because he was lapped. Uh, But one other driver who did manage to make the one-stop work in in. Perhaps one of the most impressive drives of the weekend, I've got to say, there were a couple of standouts in this race, but was Sergio Perez because he started from pit lane after missing a, a call to the Weybridge during practice. Quite a, a harsh penalty for that, but I can understand why that's the case. He started on medium tyres from the pit lane, changed on lap 24 to the hard. You could also see the way that Racing Point was really managing that strategy to, to change only at the very point where the, the lap time it certainly to, started yeah. to degrade. And you could see towards the end of his stint as well, the tyres were going off, but made it to the end in 10th, albeit not without some contact from Daniel Kvyat. Two weeks in a row that Kvyat's made some last lap contacts. Yeah, I, I almost think... So Kvyat, I was impressed with what he was doing early in the season and disappointed or underwhelmed with, with Perez, but I think it's almost switched around a bit. Since the mm. summer break, Perez has been great. He's been... Um, you know, along with probably the McLaren drivers and and Ricardo, he's been one of the one of the standouts of the midfield, um, and another great drive, very underrated drive. There weren't a lot mm. of people talking about it, but yeah, what he did managed to make it work, and and as you say, stay out to the to just at that point where it's just about to go, um, and then switch from there, and he did, and he made it work, and 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 didn't look like he had too much trouble doing it. No, it was only towards that, again, as we saw with pretty much everybody attempting the one-stop, right towards the end of that second stint, which is what gave Kvyat the sniff, I guess, much as it did with Hulkenberg last week in Mexico. But uh, he ended up getting that 10th place back because Kvyat was given a five-second penalty. Uh, And a well-earned point, I think, for Sergio Perez, as that racing point card does improve. It turns out they were telling the truth about the administration (laughs) problems last year and that they just needed some time to get the car right. It'll be interesting to see where that car is placed next year. It was an interesting United States Grand Prix. It didn't go the way I guess people expected it, this delicate balance between one and two stops. It's kind of exactly what you want from the Pirelli ties, what you want from a, a strategic Formula One Grand Prix. And of course, we've ended up with a, a new world champion as a result and, and two races that are now essentially death rubbers, unless you're in the midfield, of course, plenty to play for, plenty of money to play for. It's a pleasure to have you on the show to discuss it all though, Jake. Thanks for having me. That was Jake Michaels from ESPN. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the US Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice for a discussion about whether Ferrari might be the least effective cheaters in Formula One. I've been Michael Laminato. Look me up at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for an analysis of the Brazilian Grand Prix.